0: During our 22 day trip to India, we saw some interesting and impressive sights, uh, not least at the end of our trip when, like most tourists do, we ended up at the Taj Mahal. However, uh, there was something else that we saw in the trip which you will think is not very impressive at all. Something in the middle of our trip which made a lasting impression on me. It doesn't look much all it is is a large tree outside a house it's situated in the city of Nagpur which is right in the middle of India and we went to India in the middle of our trip to visit my former colleague Frank Ulish who I worked with when I was a single man way back in 1972 and we took a trip around the city we visited the flat where we used to live uh, downtown in the city it's the flat on the top on the right there it was new then, it's not so new now and we, uh, Frank said let's take a trip round the city and visit all the houses of our colleagues there were about 15 of us living there and it was outside one of those houses that we saw this particular tree and when we stopped outside the house Frank said to me do you recognise the tree? so I said I don't think so senior moments and all, but he said you should do. He said, you and I planted it 35 years ago. That evening we met with some of the folk that we'd known and worshipped with in a student group. They're all a lot older now. Um, And it was good to meet it with old friends. And one of them the one with the same colour hair as me, but with a moustache on my left on the photograph, if you're looking at the picture, apologies to those just listening to this, said to me, do you remember me? And I looked at him, you know when you've not seen someone for nearly 40 years, you don't want to be embarrassed, so I looked at him and said, it's Matthew, isn't it? Yes, he said, my name's Matthew Vergas. He said, don't you remember? He said, way back in 1976, Down in Tamil Nadu, in the south of India, you taught a month's course for Indian Christians on Bible translation and linguistics. And he said, You were the first person to enthuse me about the importance of translating God's Word for the languages of India. And so after the course, he said, I went to work. I learned a language, not my own, another language, I wrote it down. I translated the New Testament into it. I then got a PhD in linguistics at the university. And I'm now a consultant advising several other Indian missionaries who are translating into other Indian languages. Now, it was a great encouragement to me, especially, I have to be absolutely honest, I taught on this course under some reluctance. I was engaged in Eater, I was anxious to be back home, but I agreed to stay an extra month and just teach on this course. And it was a great encouragement to me uh, to realize that what I thought was maybe not worth very much and had no lasting value, in fact, had an impact on someone's life. And it reminded me that trees are not the only seeds we plant in life. And that what we reap is in direct proportion to what we sow even though we may be largely unaware of it and of the outcome, and only sometimes, as I did on that occasion, have the privilege of actually seeing what actually happened. Some of you think that what you've been doing in Charlotte Chapel for the last 30 years, 50, 60 years is pretty, you know, what's the effect of it at all? Who knows the person you taught in Sunday school, looked after in YPM, stood at the door and welcomed over there, who knows? One of my theories, and it is a theory, so I may well be wrong, is that we may well spend eternity meeting people who say, do you remember what you did all those years ago? And I say this, of course, not to boast, but just to say, God is a God who loves to do things, but he does them through human agency, and what you sow, you reap. So, This morning, I want to leave you with the challenge of sowing and reaping. And I want to read from some words the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. So if you've got a Bible, well, it's important to have a Bible in front of you. We always preach from the Bible. So turn in your Bibles, it's page 1163 in the Pew Bibles, to 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to focus on verses 6 through 15. This is God's word. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, Psalm 112, verse 9, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. May God give us understanding of his word. In summary... What this passage says, and what I want you to remember, if you forget everything else, is a vital principle. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Now, this applies in all areas of life. In another of his letters uh, to the Christians in the province of Galatia, the Apostle Paul applies this principle to character. Do not be, he writes, Galatians 6 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But here in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the principle of sowing and reaping is applied to money or material wealth. And without embarrassment, so I won't be embarrassed, Paul applies it, it's kind of a mixed metaphor, to sowing money in relation to money. Look again at the verse that heads this up, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap Generously. Now you need to know what the background of this is when Paul first wrote this all those years ago. The background is that Paul has launched a gift appeal for suffering Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. We know from contemporary history that there was a devastating famine in that region at this time. Everyone was suffering... But it appears that the Christians, the followers of Jesus in that area, in the city of Jerusalem and surrounding, were suffering in a particular way. Many people believe that because the Christians were standing up for their faith in Jesus, they'd been excluded from the normal system of Jewish social services. You will also know, if you know the book of Acts, that the early Christians had given away much of their wealth to support one another. And so now you have these impoverished, Christians. They're in desperate need. And so the Apostle Paul, this great missionary who's been out and about in the Roman provinces around, he launches a gift appeal for the suffering Christians in Jerusalem to the Christians, particularly in the city of Corinth, here in this letter, and the Christians in the wider area of what we call Greece today. The churches that he had planted through his missionary endeavors. And now he writes to tell them, he'd launched the appeal some time ago, and they'd all put their hands up and said, yeah, 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 counters in, we'll be, we'll be there. Paul says, right, get ready. I'm sending three delegates around all these churches in Greece, including Corinth, and they're coming to collect the money. In fact, he put it crudely, he wants to make sure they're going to put the money where their mouth is. So ahead of their arrival... He warns the Corinthians in this letter... He says to them very gently... Well, quite strongly actually... Not gently... Paul wasn't sometimes quite strong... He says... Fulfill the commitment you made... Look again at the earlier chapter... Chapter 8 verse 10 and 11... Here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter... Last year... You were the first not only to give... But have the desire to do so... You put your hand up when we launched this appeal... You were the first ones to say... Yep, Church of Corinth we will give... Now he says... Finish the work... So that your eager willingness to do it, what you said, may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. He is kind of anxious because he says, Listen, I've boasted to everybody about you, Corinthians. And I've said, They're great people. They'll do what they promised. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want these delegates to arrive and find out you've not even collected any money. So he writes in chapter 9, verse 3, just before our passage, But I'm sending the brothers, these three brothers, delegates, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. And then he tells them to encourage them to give generously. He makes this statement, our focus. What you reap, he says, is what you sow. Remember, when you put your money into this offering, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So, let's be absolutely practical. You put your money, some of you, in the offering. Others of you do it by direct debit. So, when you put money in the offering, when you give to God's Word, what's the harvest that you reap? Is this some kind of divine investment financial plan? I was watching... I shouldn't watch it, really. It doesn't do my blood pressure good. The God Channel one day, and I switched on, and there was some nutcase... Well, there was some... there's some guy on the, on the television I'm just amazed that he can get through this on our television screens and he had a picture of a great big pyramid like this and he was talking about giving and at the bottom was like ten dollars and then higher up it was a hundred dollars and then a thousand dollars and then ten thousand dollars and his basic, what he was saying to people was send the money in to me of course and whatever you send in will be multiplied and you'll become really rich And at the end of it, it said, please send your gifts too. (laughs) Whatever. Is that what he's saying here? No. Look at the passage carefully, what he's saying. As we look at his explanation of the principle of sowing and reaping uh, in these verses, let alone the rest of the Bible, we'll see this is not what Paul had in mind. What I want to focus on is the harvest that is reaped through generous giving. When When we give generously, what What's the harvest at the end of it? Okay, and there are three things I want to say, all right? Uh, They don't alliterate, so I'm sorry about that. I worked on it, couldn't get it. Right, so, (laughs) but it all begins with the same letter, increasing. Okay, the first thing that happens when you give to others is increasing fellowship between Christians. Increasing fellowship between Christians. Now, if you know the New Testament, there was a lot of tension between the Apostle Paul... And the church in Jerusalem which was composed of Jewish believers. Paul was going around preaching the gospel to Gentiles non-Jews and the Jewish believers were very suspicious about what was going on some of them felt that if you wanted to become a Christian and you were a Gentile that's fine but you ought to be circumcised as a sign that you were a Jew and that you needed to obey the law of Moses and Paul took a strong stand against this, even against the Apostle Peter on one occasion. You can find that in Galatians chapter 2, I think it is. You see, Paul was convinced that the gospel was good news for all people. Even people like the Corinthians who came from an immoral, pagan lifestyle. As he wrote again to the Christians in Galatia who were influenced by Jewish teachers, he said, no matter what your background is, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Great words, Galatians three twenty six to 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Every Christian can sing, Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them so let's just praise the Lord we should sing out in Sunday school as kids however it's one thing to talk about unity between Christians from different backgrounds it's quite another to demonstrate that you believe it in practice yet what better way to develop fellowship between Christians than in the sharing of resources it's easy to shout across a divide at somebody it's much more difficult to do it across a dinner table or on receipt of a generous gift. So Paul encourages these Christians from a Gentile background in Corinth and Greece to give generously to their brothers and sisters from a Jewish background as a means of deepening Christian fellowship across human divides. The gift is a practical demonstration of Christian unity between Gentile Christians in Corinth and Greece, and Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. And if you look at what Paul says in the verses that follow, he describes how this will produce a deepening relationship between these two groups of people. First of all, from the Christians in Corinth to the Christians in Jerusalem, he writes, because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. The word translated sharing there is the word that's translated elsewhere, fellowship, koinonia. It's a Greek word, it means shared life together. Fellowship does not just mean singing hymns together, praying together, coming to church together, it is sharing a common life which is reflected in practicality by sharing resources together, like the early church did in the in the Greek world of the day the word this word for fellowship was used actually of a business partnership between people where two parties made an obligation to come together and share their resources to further their business or cause now the Bible says to do otherwise to ignore the needs of fellow Christians is a contradiction in terms of the gospel it is that faith without works which James says in his letter is dead It is that love without action, which John says in his first epistle, is a lie. However, where faith is accompanied by works and love is accompanied in action as in generous giving, then fellowship is deepened between Christians as those who receive respond in real heartfelt love and genuine prayer for those who have given to them. So we see it the other way around in these verses. From the Christians in Jerusalem to the Christians in Corinth, he says, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. You see what's happening? They give the gift, they receive it, and pray and give thanks to God. The ties are strengthened. They would recognize. Paul says, when these Christians in Jerusalem, no matter what my arguments have been about circumcision, the law of Moses and everything else, when they get these gifts from you, they will recognize this is God's grace that's at work in these people. And they'll give thanks to God and to you. Now, there is still today a great incentive to give to needy brothers and sisters in other parts of the world our fellowship with them will be deepened and strengthened. I think for us, the lasting impression of going to India, and I worked there for years and just going back again, was just experiencing that fellowship between Christians and that you could, you could just, it's hard to quantify, but it's just that warmth of fellowship that you experience and you think to yourself, what I own, it, it makes you think twice about how you spend your money. Practical terms, I really mean that. You know, you share in fellowship together. We went to a little church in Secunderabad, a, a Good Shepherd Community Church, and uh, there's need to praying for someone. The pe- lady just came and said, "Will you pray for me?" You know, stood outside church. You know, you know, we'd be kind of embarrassed to do that in the coffee break, wouldn't we? If Somebody came and said, "Do you mind just praying for me? I'm struggling a bit." We we just spent time just praying for people, and uh, I had the opportunity to teach pastors preaching. And they were just they were just so grateful. And you think, boy, this is great. And, and you guys paid for my book on preaching to go free to all these pastors here. Well, they were very grateful. <laughs> you maybe found a better book, but never mind. <laughs> they carried it out, and, you, and the mission board paid for it out of your gifts. And they were just so delighted and pleased. And I don't say that, I, please don't understand, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just saying it's just such a joy. And uh, think of that wee boy, you know, the one that I showed you of, the one with his leg in a stucky. And I said to Andrew, is it free and he said no no you had to go out to hospital I said what did it cost and he said Boy, what did it cost and he said 2,000 rupees and I said kind of a bit of mental arithmetic I said it's about 30 pounds coming on so I said how would he pay for it and he said well they've had to take out a loan his mother's left home and abandoned him he's living with his granny because his dad's nowhere to be seen and I said to him that's just crazy I said to Andrew just discreetly here you know what what's 30 pounds to us frankly you know just, just, just give it to him discreetly, and just say well, it's paid for, you know. But it's just, it's just a lovely way to be able to do that. It brings joy, it brings fellowship. You know, I'm not saying all this to sort of put a guilt trip on you all and say right, cough up, you know, and and you know these kind of gifts. I'm just saying it'll bring you great joy. Uh, you saw some pictures while we are away, and I showed a picture of uh, of a a young man who's been pastoring a church on the edge of the jungle there. He's led 40 people to the Lord and baptized them. And he works for a little Indian mission that's run out of money and he's got no more money now. And he gets 20 pounds a month to plant a church. Two people in the chapel came forward immediately and said, we'd love to pay for his salary. Great. You know, I know know we're all, you know, and we're in a recession and we are billions of pounds in debt as a country. Well, you know. But listen friends, 20 pounds a month pound a day you know one pound fifty a day and just think you can you can help to build a church plant a seed and you build fellowship between christians i just want to encourage you to think to just do it you'll you'll get great joy out of it all right we're doing it through our mission support we we have in charlotte chapel a fellowship fund rightly called Uh, on communion sundays we give gifts that go into a fund to help those of you in the congregation who are struggling or maybe unemployed or single parents or whatever and at the discretion of the pastoral team and the elders it's given to people, we can only give as you give it's nice to know who gets it but sometimes it's not important it's just you give to deepen fellowship our fellowship is real and we can do it so easily That's our privilege and blessing. It is not a one-way street, you know, we give to these poor people and they say, oh, praise the Lord, wonderful. No, no, you get just great blessing back. Just a sense of joy that you can, you have the resources to do this. Okay. That's the first thing that we reap. I need to move on. Time is going. Um, Okay. Here's a second result of generous giving, a second part of the harvest. Not only increasing fellowship between Christians, but notice in the verses, increasing thanksgiving to God. Paul describes the result of generous giving. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 11. First of all, the thanksgiving comes to God from those who receive the gift. Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Uh, This is one of the great joys of Christian giving is that when you hear that someone is in desperate need and crying out to God, then your gift arrives. Some of us, like myself, who have been missionaries for many years in the past, you know, we've had that great joy. And, you know, some of you here who are missionaries, I can see some of you around, Ivan and Joan and Eric and Anne. You ask people who have been in, on mission field, and they'll tell you the times when you just prayed, and God has sent a gift just at the right time. And, of course, you're grateful to the person who gave it, but you, you just give thanks to God. Wow, thank you, Lord. Praise goes out to God. We become a praising people not to grasping people. So this thanksgiving, it's like a stone that drops in a pool. The ripples of thanksgiving go out to God because God is to be praised. God is the giver who gives to us and we give to others. But there's not only thanksgiving to God from those who receive the gift. Secondly, notice, from those who witness faith in action. Verse 13, Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Everyone else who sees it will say, Wow, you must have a great God if it's just a generous congregation of people. You know, I think those of us who have grown up in church, we, we find it hard to, to grasp how people outside perceive this. And it's very hard, I know, because it sounds sometimes like you're blowing your own trumpet when you say what we give. But you know, nearly 40% of our income in this church goes to mission to other people, not to us. Let's get it higher, by all means. But, you know, people who hear about this, they just can't get their heads around it. Let me tell you a story again, because some of you are new to Charlotte Chapel, but it's a lovely story, I love telling you. that We raised for Nidri, and we're worshipping at Nidri now, uh, when we were around on Sunday's, we raised money. You remember for a new building for Nidri. It's six hundred, or oh, someone tell me, six hundred seventy thousand pounds. We raised, and the local Edinburgh Evening News heard about it, and uh, Moira in the office said, "There's a, there's a reporter on the phone. Wants to know about this Nidri offering." So I picked up the phone. Now nice lady from Northern Ireland. She said, uh, "I understand you've raised some money for for a building for Nidri. That is a rundown area, isn't it?" I said, "Yeah." She said, So how much have you raised? I said, £670,000. I just said, Well, I didn't say that, I just said, oh, £670,000. She said, What? I said, £670,000. She said, Oh, you must have some really rich people in Charlotte Chapel. So I said, Well, I don't know. I don't know who gives what. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll check. I'll ring you back. So I checked with Alice Doudazar. And so, Alistair said I don't want to know who gave what all I want to know is how many huge gifts came in and how many small gifts came in and Alistair came back to me and he said there was I think one of 20,000 a couple of 10,000 and all the rest were smaller gifts from members of the congregation so I rang her back said no it's not just one big person we've not got a millionaire in Charlotte Chapel who gave 600,000 and we gave the rest to make it the difference you know uh, so she said oh okay so I put the phone down and Maurice said a few about an hour later that girl's on the phone again so I picked up the phone she said well uh, what can I do for you now she said what's the repayment terms <laughs> so I, I said what do you mean what's the repayment you know she said well they're giving this money how do they pay it back I said they don't pay it back it's a gift mm, she said put the phone down this is true. She rang about five times in one day. Her final question was why would they want to do that? What's in it for Charlotte Chapel? Nothing. It's because we love Jesus. We want people to come to faith in Christ. So we give. You can't get a head around it. It was embarrassing, right? There's a big picture in the Edinburgh Evening News, myself and John Lowry, the pastor, and it said, charity giving on a biblical scale. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just lovely because praise goes to God. You say, we have a great God who's given to us and we just, we just give because we want to be generous people. So the more you give, the more you reap. The greater the giving, the more the harvest. The more blessing to other people, but the more praise and glory to God. Faith without works is dead. But faith in action, what he calls here, the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, is dynamic. They will know, said Jesus, we are Christians by our love, and you to love one another as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love us like we are to love? Did he sit up in heaven and say, I love you? No, here is love, not that we love God. That he loved us and gave his son for us he showed love in action by sacrificing himself and he said people will know you my disciples when you sacrifice yourselves for other people like that and part of that is giving you money a harvest is reaped so let's move on nearly there look at the time goodness so giving generously produces increasing fellowship between Christians increasing thanksgiving to God and notice the third thing we come full circle Incre- increasing resources for the giver generous sowing leads to generous reaping first of all god provides all you need look at verse 8 and god is able to make all grace abound to you so that in notice the all in this okay it's a lovely verse god is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times having all you need you may abound in all good works every good work god is no one's debtor when you give God gives back to you as He promised. Look at the next verse, verses 9 and 10. As it is written, He's quoting from Psalm 112, verse 9, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, for your own benefit, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, the word righteousness there doesn't mean right behavior. In this context... It means the result of that right behavior and the way we live. Do you remember Jesus used the same word in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, Be careful how you do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Don't do it to be seen by them. If you do so, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Matthew 6 verse 1. In other words, righteousness is expressed, Jesus said, in praying, in giving, in serving. And this is confirmed by what follows. God provides all we need, as he promised, so that so that you can then give to others, which should come up on the screen, so that you have more to give to others. It's here in the Bible. It's what it says. You'll be made rich on every occasion so that Charlotte Chapel will be full of really rich millionaires. No? So that you can be generous on every occasion and through... Us your generosity will result in more thanksgiving to God, more fellowship between Christians. In other words, God gives more back to you so that you can give to others, not so that you can accumulate it. Now such an approach really is truly radical. In the next four weeks, and I just wish it was this week, not in the next four weeks, before the general election, the crucial issue is all the political parties will be telling us that we will be better off with them, or probably we will be less worse off with them. (laughs) Whoever wins that argument will almost certainly win the election. But our focus as Christians is radically different. Should be radically different. As one pastor puts it, giving breaks the bondage of getting. You see, if you're a getter, you're always going to grasp and hold on. If you give it breaks the bondage you see there are not only two ways to live in the Bible there are two ways to give Uh, the first way is to sow the seed an ancient writer says to give is not to lose but to sow seed the opposite is when you get your harvest of seed is to eat the whole lot yourself if you do you like the farmer and some poor farmers have to do this but it's not wise you eat the whole crop and when the harvest comes when you come to sow for the next harvest you have nothing else to sow the result will be no harvest for selfishness breaks the cycle the circle of sowing and reaping you sow you reap you give and sow more you reap but once you stop the circle by selfishness and stop sowing stop giving you break the circle it's obvious so do we see what we have gained as something to be spent on ourselves yes he says you need food to eat I'm not saying by this don't spend any money on yourself He's saying no God will give you all that you need but he'll give you more in order that you might give and can I simply say suggest to you that sometimes the reason why we don't have more is that God can't trust us with more because we just hoard it for ourselves and the more you give God gives you so that you can give away to other people I think I can say in all honesty if I had more money I'd just love to give more money away it's great The circle is broken when we spend all we have on ourselves and give little or nothing to others. There will be no harvest, no fellowship with other Christians, no praise to God, nothing coming back to give to others. Now, you may say, say, this is risky stuff. You know, I don't think a hundred business leaders are going to sign up and say, this is a great idea. One commentator, an ancient good commentator says, generous giving... For those who have little to give, and some of these Christians in Macedonia had very little, they gave out their poverty, we read. Generous giving for those who have little to give seems very hazardous, but the risk tends to be forgotten when the greatness of God's power is kept steadily in mind. So let me say something in conclusion. I've got a few minutes before we finish and sing a hymn. All right? How should we give? Verse 7, Paul gives us three practical guidelines for giving. Look at what it says each man should give what he's designed in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver one give personally each man giving is a matter of individual responsibility before God it is not that of the state it is not in this case that of the church it is no use saying the church will give the money you are the church and as such we should give individually personally secondly give thoughtfully what he's decided in his heart to give. Paul doesn't talk about percentages. He doesn't talk about even tithes or tents, which the Jewish people gave. My suspicion is that these are free will offerings, probably on top of that. Each person, he says, make a thoughtful choice about how much to give. Don't just give on the spur of the moment an emotional response. Sometimes we need to do that. We see a terrible need and we say, we've just got to give to that. The other week I was delighted to see in the bulletin given to hate if to the, you know we gave thousands, several thousand pounds straight away to that. We need to do that, but think thoughtfully, strategically. How are you going to invest your money? How are you going to sow the seed in God's harvest? We're hoping later on in this year, Andrew McCabe will be coming back. You remember that we raised at our anniversary, uh, I think it was twenty-six thousand pounds for this clinic in the jungle. I showed some of the picture of the children there. There's another picture of them, of doing it uh, by helping. Um, We've got another challenge we need to think about as a church And I simply leave it with you now and we'll bring it back to you so you can give thoughtfully Uh, But there's a young man who's going to head up the project There's another young couple who've gone away and trained at the evangelical hospital uh, As community health workers are going to travel around the area in the jungle There's no one else doing this in this whole area among the Torah people They're going to go around and share the gospel and share health, you know, practical health guidelines. And there's the pastor in the village, you saw a picture of him with the children. His daughter is studying at the moment to be a nurse, to come back and to be a nurse in the project. And they need a night watchman. Andrew's given me the budget. There's about five people to pay the salaries for those... There's no point in building a clinic in the jungle if we can't afford anybody to run it. But the actual cost for all those people is the same cost, roughly speaking, about what we give at the moment. And we don't give fully to any of our missionaries, but it's about the same amount per month, about £450 a month to pay everybody's salary. Uh, and there'll be a challenge present to you later in the year. Uh, and Just think and pray about it now. And I simply say to you, You can sow some seed by giving money to that. Even if you said, look, okay, I'll sacrifice a takeaway a month, if you have to take away a month or whatever, you know. I'll give 10 pounds a month. if if it was gave, we could meet the cost. But we're not meeting our missionary budget at the moment, you'll see in the bulletin, let alone our ordinary budgets coming up. That's great. But it'd be good to say when you see, I I was in charge for 17 years. I can't think of many times when we've put the figures in the bulletin and it said, we're in surplus what normally happens is we run behind all the time and then we say help we're not going to meet the budget and everybody feels guilty and puts money in it'd be great to say our budget at the moment is 10,000 pounds above what we need so let's think how we can give that to someone else wouldn't be good? our missionary fund is great so if there's some young person who's a student and wants to go and serve God yep we've got the money we can do this we can pay the money for the clean I mean absolutely r- brutal and practical here right and it's simply it, you give thoughtfully thirdly give cheerfully not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves cheerful giver Paul gives two negatives not reluctantly literally means not in sorrow if you're sorry to part with your money or under compulsion not from what must be done something unavoidable or unpleasant with fear of reprisal if you don't do it rather Christian giving is described as cheerful the Greek word is hilarios which eventually in English came to mean hilarity give joyfully thankfully when we lived in Nigeria a part of our lives uh, I used to love the offering part of church you know you know the offering in Charlotte Chapel it's boring isn't it really And you, know, you all sit there and mumble a song on the thing and then you know they pass the bag, shuffle it around and everything in, in Africa in many parts in the village where we live when the offering was on they had a really loud song and everybody danced down the aisle and put their money in a basket at the front I know it will never catch on in Scotland But I tell you what, it gives you a great sense of joy, you know. And and I was in a church, last time I was in Nigeria, I was in a church, and they did it, and the pastor said, we need more, let's do it again. (laughs) And they all danced around three times. (laughs) Kept putting money in the bag, you know. Great, you know, because it's a joyful thing. (laughs) Full of joy. Above all, give generously. If you look at these verses, the idea of generosity, the word generous, comes about six, seven times in these few verses give generously why because it's a reflection of the God that we serve who is a generous God whose son became poor so that we might become rich we're to give generously because of Jesus beautiful verse you should know it by heart from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 previous chapter for you know the great he's saying to Christians if you're a Christian if you're not a Christian much of what I've said today you'll think is absolutely outrageous and off the wall all right Okay, I understand that. But if you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And if you know that, and if you'd experience God's undeserved grace, his generosity, you want to give generously. Let me say, if you're not a Christian, what you need to know, first and foremost, what you need to give to God is not your money. You need to give your life to Christ. First and foremost. And then out of that, you'll want to be generous because you'll be such a delighted recipient of God's goodness that you want to give generously so that others too might hear of it. And so the only appropriate response is that with which Paul finishes the section and I finish this lengthy sermon. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, say it with me together and then we finish. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Amen. Well, let's sing a song.